Hi everyone, it's me Josie Parwin and on Algeprop I really wanted to explore different areas of my interests. I categorize things in food, lifestyle, travel and culture but for me it was always trying to connect with spirituality and all of my other kind of loves and hobbies. When I was looking at people to interview in terms of my food area of YouTube and my food area of my website, I really wanted to find someone that I could discuss a little bit more than just the traditional foodie questions. And I stumbled across an amazing um, plant-based and intuitive chef called Sal. So she is the food witch and she is an incredible lady. And I was very intrigued to hear more about her process of preparing food and what she does. So please check it out here. So I always try and start with people's stories. Like, where did you grow up? So I grew up in a very nice part of southwest London uh, called Hampton. Okay. Which is near Hampton Court Palace. I've um, been there, I've been there. Yeah, so it's a really, really beautiful, uh, quiet uh, suburb. And um, I was just really lucky that my mum, uh, my parents moved us there when I was really, really young, two, three. Um, and we stayed in that house after my parents got divorced. So I grew up in that house from the age of two to the age of 18 when I left home, um, which was lovely. And I got to walk to school and all of that really wholesome stuff, which was really beautiful and lovely and really set me up well to sort of have a, have a nice um, sort of education and upbringing and nice family life, which was, which was lovely. Did you um, feel growing up that you had a passion for cooking? Like when did it start that you decided that this was the kind of job you wanted to do? Um, kind of yes and kind of no. So I think if you'd have asked me at any point from the age of three to the age of 10 what I wanted to be, the answer would have been a chef. Um, but I think realistically, it wasn't something that I really thought I would ever do. Um, you know, both my parents are doctors, uh, my sister's a doctor, my aunt's a doctor, my other aunt trained as a lawyer and is now sort of an executive in business and they're all sort of very academic and very high achieving and because my family also really you know food and cooking was a huge part of our culture it kind of just seemed you know almost like there was no no career in that and that was just life and family and yeah sure I loved food but actually there were valuable important things that I should be doing that weren't you know napping around in a kitchen full time. Um, so I think I kind of subconsciously suppressed the fact that that was my passion um, until I was in my late tw mid twenties when I was working as a management consultant and you know really just not not finding a lot of meaning and purpose in life. And you know I think rather than knowing that food was my career, I think I always knew that I wanted to do something that was meaningful and would sort of connect me and, and help me make a difference with other people. And, you know, not even necessarily on like a huge, you know, life world changing level, but on a level of, you know, making, using something that I had to make a difference and, and sort of feeling like I had made my own contribution to society or the world or whatever it would be in the end. Um, and I think it was not, not feeling that in what I was doing. Um, as a management consultant working in finance, just sort of wanting something more and something more fulfilling and a bit more tangible. 
um, that I started to think maybe I should pursue something that I was passionate about and that, you know, made my heart sing and, you know, that I wanted to spend every day doing rather than sitting at a desk bashing away a spreadsheet. So, um, you know, it was in my mid-twenties that I, I really decided that I was going to have a career in food. Um, and I think up until that point, I'd just been sort of repressing repressing those dreams. I think that's so interesting because it mimics in some ways my personal journey with my kind of transition with my work online because I think a lot of people were quite shocked that I wanted to start learning to cook in a public way with my blog and start to discuss food because people knew me from makeup and I've got to my mid-20s when I was like this is just not I, I did it because it was the only kind of thing I could get my foot in the door with it wasn't really a passion and when I was younger um, I was the only person in my family that was vegetarian and I couldn't actually eat meat it made me very poorly as a baby so I grew up with the kind of like this fear around food and then when I was staying with my grandparents my grandma would talk, teach me how to cook cakes and whenever I was with her I would always find that food was really a positive experience and it's now she's passed away it's what I feel memories of and it's I think that people um have this link to food and preparing something that someone else can enjoy that is so healing and I think it kind of sounds like I kind of where you were when you decided to go into it for that kind of purpose so <laughs> I know that I'm a trained or fabulous cook by any stretch of the imagination I'm still very much learning how to do things but I'm I'm very intrigued to hear when people um have that moment where they decide okay this is my focus and this is what I want to go forward with okay well, so interestingly, I think, you know, my my journey kind of has two steps because when I first, you know, there was the the moment of deciding that I was going to follow my dream and follow my passion. Um, but there was also, um, and I, I know this now, that with that comes a whole lot of other questions and sort of, you know, self-development and internal work that needs to be done. You need to have a very specific mindset and constitution to work for yourself um, rather than working for somebody else and to also make your, your dream and your passion what you do. It requires, you know, you to have a very sort, you know, specific kind of relationship with yourself and, you know, a level of honesty and intuition um, that I definitely didn't have. So when I first became a chef, it was you know, what should I do? What is everybody else doing? What would be a good business to have? And so I didn't necessarily do the things that I'm doing now, which I really love to do, but I did the things that I thought on paper would make me a success or mm. that would gain approval from my family or gain approval from random other people that whose opinions I decided were important. Um, and so, you know, don't get me wrong, I still, I love baking, so I started a bakery and, you know, I was selling food to produce and doing catering, but um, that still wasn't really my passion. My passion is is about sort of our connection to food, and in like you were saying, that sort of energetic energetic transfer that you can, you know, affect from you know making something for somebody else or eating something that's made with love. There's so much power in in food, and I wasn't really able to make much of that just by making stuff for people to eat. Um, I felt like I had much more creativity and much more sort of philosophy, I guess, in me that I wanted to to look into and share and, and make something out of. And it was that desire to get some meaning and purpose um, from what I did that I was still missing, you know. There was part of me that was really frustrated. So I was like, you know, I've left this six-figure career 
where I was really doing really well. I was really good at it. The only problem was I just hated it. Um, I left this amazing job. I could have had everything made um, to become a chef and do what I loved. And yet I wasn't making any money and I was miserable. Um, and I was like, what's happened? Like, this isn't, this isn't what I set out for when I decided to follow my dream. Um, and so I started working with a life coach and a business coach. And it was suddenly sort of realizing that was all of this conditioning and, and sort of subconscious stuff that was affecting my mindset and the way that I saw myself that was really stopping me from even knowing what it was that I wanted to do um, that would fill me with joy and, and bring me purpose. Um, and it was amazingly sort of the amalgamation of that plus the work that I did on myself that made me realize that it was really simple to frame our relationship with food through a lot of the tools and um, ideas that coaches um, use to help with self-development. And a lot of that really applies to our relationship with food. And it really inspired me to sort of pull out all of this um this thinking and this philosophy and this idea about sort of having an intuitive relationship with food that goes far beyond intuitive eating. Um, and that's sort of a, over the last two or three years that I've been developing all of that stuff since I worked with that life coach for a year. So it's really, really interesting how these stages of these things developed and that really did take me quite a long time to figure out what my, my real, I guess what my gift was and what I was here to share with the world. Very interesting. Um, you mentioned your uh, heritage and culture at the beginning. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about what food was like in terms of your culture? Yeah, so my family is from um, East Africa. So my grandma's from Zanzibar. And my granddad is from mainland Tanzania. And um, we're from, so I guess, ancestrally, we're Gujarati. So we are Asian, but have an African uh, background. Um, and then my family came over here in the 70s. So my mum was born in Africa, my dad was born in Africa, and I guess in a similar way to how we fit into society now, you know, they were relatively well off in Africa. Um, you know, my granddad had businesses, they, they had a good life um, relative to, I guess, a lot of Africans. Um, but that certainly wasn't the case when they came here. and. They lived in, you know, really hard conditions, much harder and, and much more poverty than they were used to. Um, but what was really interesting is that so much of the food that they ate in Africa is just so humble and simple and, you know, mostly vegetarian or relatively simple um, use of meat, not a lot of it. And so eating our food wasn't that expensive here um, compared to. There were things that they could eat, you know, rice, lentils, that kind of stuff. Um, and so our food culture came with us. And I think, you know, as with any community, big or small, that moves, um, food is the thing that that makes you feel at home. It's the thing that makes you feel like, you know, you've got your community and you've got some familiarity. So I think eating the food that they ate in Africa here was was always just a given to my family and my grandma never really cooked um, European food she still only really cooks um, East African food and um, really really lucky as well that I've grown up with this mix of East African and Indian heritage because the food that we eat um, is very very unique to the sort of heritage that 
that is behind it. So Zanzibar's on the spice trail. We have a lot of Gujarati influences in the food, but the bulk of it is using African staple ingredients. So um, a lot of coconut, um, a lot of fresh spices instead of dried ones. So it's very, very different to Indian food, very, very different to African food. And it's just, it's very sort of unique, amazing, delicious cuisine. Um, and so from the moment I was born, I grew up eating my grandma's food, you know, if not every Friday at a family dinner, then several times a week. Um, they live next door to us or in our house for my entire life. So my grandma's always been around. She's the most amazing cook. Hmm. Um, at least when it comes to African food, like she's she's had a few howlers when we've tried to to get her to cook European <laughs> food, and even now, thirty years later, her fish in white sauce is still infamous in our family. And <laughs> like, there are people that weren't alive when she made it that still know how dreadful it was. Oh goodness! Um, <laughs> but you know, at the same time, she would let us make uh, chapatis with her on a Friday for, for the family dinner, and it's like. So, so many of my fondest memories um, of childhood are either cooking with my grandma or watching her cook, sharing family meals, um, eating, you know, out, trying things, um, just all of my joy, basically, from childhood and, and now into adult life is, is basically centred around food. Um, and so it's been a massive part of my life and it, it still is and it's still such a massive part of our family and you know we've just made this um, my aunt decided that none of us had enough of a handle on my grandma's recipes and you know she's nearly 90 and she'll cook for 20 people you know no problem but we're also you know aware that at some point we might need to be able to replicate her dishes on our own yes and um, so she, my aunt spent the last couple of years making all of us like spend time with my grandma, write down the recipes, try them out, take photos. And now we've got this family cookbook, which is like all of our favorite curries and dals and rice dishes that my grandma's made throughout our lives. Um, and we all now have this compendium so that we can preserve her amazing cooking for posterity. Oh my um, goodness, that's amazing. It's fabulous. It's so good. And I honestly, like, I, when I go on retreats, I take a copy with, on my phone with me and I'll just, you know, look up a curry and, and make that for the guests on a retreat because I just know how good her food is. And it's just so nice to be able to, you know, share that and, you know, I adapt the recipes on, to my own or, you know, make my own sort of versions of them. And it's just something so, like, when I'm cooking a version of one of her curries for 20 people on a retreat and none of these people know her, but somehow from you know all of these years of growing up eating her food i'm getting to now share some of that with yes. people that have no idea where it came from it's it's like it's almost like a ritual i think preparing food um my my family are kind of not my my sisters well my brother-in-law he wasn't familiar with like we we eat on like every event that there is in the year so there's like a holiday like easter my grandma would prepare like a big meal for us all so i totally relate to what you're saying and and tomorrow 
I've insisted since I'm, I'm with all of them <laughs> that we're going to do a family meal. And my niece, who is now two, she gets to experience a little bit of what we kind of experienced growing up. So it's so true what you're saying. And it's food has that magical quality that you can kind of instill memory in people. And I always think that when um, when I speak about fragrance with when I develop and I work with makeup artists and we're talking about making products with the fragrance, fragrance has got such an like it's got such a powerful link to memory. Are there any like Zanzibar inspired um, dishes that just hit you and you go, oh my god, that just reminds me of being back home in my grandma's kitchen when she was preparing this? Like, what are your staples? Um, so there's one thing which, although we don't cook a lot at home, is is such a like genetic part of our familial joy of food that even just the smell of um, it microwaving from the freezer is one of those things that I still remember. So there's these little um, little fried street snacks from East Africa, and they're called tungwa. And basically what it is, it's like a fermented rice and coconut batter that you put yeast and cardamom and sugar in. And you just kind of deep fry these, and then you blitz it up. So it's like a really sort of liquidy, yeasty, kind of like a crumpet. But okay. then you make these fried balls of it. Um, and they're just like almost burnt on the outside and like so fluffy and sweet and soft and cardamomy on the inside. And they're like quite difficult to make. I, I don't think I've seen anyone in my family make them. But what we would do is we would get like the, you know, elderly lady of the community that was available would just make them in droves and then people would go and buy them and collect them. So we would like stock our freezers with them. And just the smell of like when they get hot in the microwave and it's like you can smell like the oil and the sugar of these things. It's like such a specific to that particular treat and occasionally if I get hold of one now it just like it fills my heart with glee as soon as I can smell it heating up um sounds delicious so yeah, <laughs> yeah they're so good honestly they're so delicious and I think funnily enough I think frying is probably the smell that reminds me of, of my grandma's cooking because all of my favorite things particularly from being a child um that she used to make were deep fried uh, samosas um, dough, these little coconut donut things. Um, she would make these meatballs um, that she would deep fry. <laughs> they were delicious. Um, and everyone would complain because they, the house would stink of oil and their clothes would smell. And on a Friday night, they wouldn't want to come to the house. My whole family would come and they'd all be complaining of the smell of oil. And for me, the smell of oil in the house just means like something delicious. And I don't care. I just don't care if my clothes smell. <laughs> it means I'm going to eat something like that. It's just like not even on my radar that I might put, make my clothes smell. Yes. Yes. If it tastes good, who the hell cares about the smell of things? <laughs> also, all of my family have got hair and I don't. So they would all get annoyed that their hair would smell frying. That's days, true. But... That's true. This is the benefit with me. I just stick on a new wig if, if I cook with one and swap to another. <laughs> There you go, I can just shave mine off and start yes. completely afresh. Yes. So you studied at Leaf School of Food and Wine and you just mentioned that you now do retreats. So how does your work kind of manifest today? Because you work with people, don't you? It's not just you prepare food and then you kind of leave. You you have more of an interactive experience with a lot of what you do. I just wondered if yeah. you could talk a bit about like what you offer to people if they were interested in working with you. Yeah, so obviously for the moment, um, my um, residential retreats are not possible. So those are just off the table for now. Um, 
the other thing that I do when I'm not on retreat is teaching. Um, so that's sort of where I'm focusing now to um, sort of try and reorientate my business um, with something that can be done um, online. So um, I do sort of a bunch of stuff on Instagram, uh, like live cook-alongs. Um, and the thing that I've literally just launched today on my website is I've started a series of like intuitive cooking uh, live online workshops. So it's not about recipes or about sort of particular dishes. It's like how you can get the most out of ingredients um, with techniques and concepts and ideas that you can then apply to all sorts of different vegetables and stuff throughout the seasons. Um, so it's more like trying to empower people to, to free themselves from, from recipes and, and following along and getting stressed about ingredients and things like that. Because for me, that takes all of the joy out of cooking. And, and what I love about food is just looking in my fridge figuring out what I want, making it a reality and it being delicious. Um, and for me, so much of people's um, reluctance to get involved in the kitchen is that specific barrier of not trusting themselves and their intuition and feeling like they don't know what they're doing. Um, when a lot of it is just about sort of being mindful and concentrating on what you're doing and, and not getting distracted or wrapped up in, in other things. Um, so the workshop should be should be fun, um, and then I'm doing uh, online virtual retreats as well. So we've just done one, which was really really fun. It's just a day of escapism um, where we try and fill your day with uh, various sessions to keep you on a relaxed and mindful track um, with sort of plenty of free time in between. So we had yoga, uh, meditation, we had some sort of mindfulness and, and, med and journaling work, and then I did a cook-along for lunch when we all ate lunch together. It was just really, really nice and, and actually a really nice way to connect to people, um, which feels really hard to do at the moment. Um, so that was really, really fun. And then in the sort of background, um, whilst I'm doing all of this fun online stuff, I'm also writing a couple of e-books, um, which I'm going to put on Kindle and hopefully on Amazon as well quite soon. So hopefully some, some reading material coming up too. Perfect. And you can find that all at thefoodwitch.uk, which... Yes, The Food Witch. Perfect. And I basically um, discovered your work when I was watching telly because you were on uh, the vegetarian or vegan cooking um, show. Is it what is it called again? The with the two uh, living on the veg. Living Bosch. on the veg. Yeah. That's right. And I saw you, and I was so amazed by what you made. On there, you made almost like an egg replacement sort of dish with chickpeas. Yes, exactly. So I was amazed. It was so good. <laughs> chickpeas are amazing. Let's be honest. They are brilliant. Um, like my my partner is obsessed with chickpeas, and he's always shouting at me because I don't have any in stock when I'm in the UK. And he's like, well, "How can you not have chickpeas? They're the one thing you need to stock up with." Oh, for God's sake! But I was just amazed by how you can use the waste of the chickpeas, the the kind of like liquid left in a can, to then replace eggs. And I think that that's just genius. And there's so many tricks and tips that you can learn um, when you want to move away from um, using animal produce. I think that a lot of people are now starting to get aware that there's not just health reasons for this. There's not just like the animal cruelty side of things, but there's so much in this. And you mentioned intuitive cooking. And do you want to talk a bit... <laughs> excuse me do you want to talk a little bit about more how this all kind of links together the plant-based side of things using your intuition to cook and how that kind of brought you to call your website and and your brand the food witch sure 
So the, the whole idea behind the food witch um, is, is, well, I guess it's twofold. Um, firstly, I think there is a growing generation of women in sort of life coaching and business coaching and lifestyle um, and food that are, instead of being feminist or being patriarchal and now um, embracing our intuition and promoting both the feminine and masculine energies that um, we all have within us and owning the fact that that feminine energy is one of the most powerful um, and wonderful things that the world has to offer. And that, for me, is really what a witch is. It's just that feminine energy and that intuitive sort of, um, you know, a woman's intuition, right? It's a very, very common phrase. And so mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of people now that are just embracing that idea. And, and I wanted to sort of just make a statement and, and put my my nail on the wall there and just sort of say, you know, this is this is really what I think I do. But it's also something that a lot of people sort of level at me when I, when I make food, like um, with my other half, for example, often... We, you know, I'm quite indecisive. She's quite indecisive. Often we'll have this, like, what do you want for dinner? I don't know, what do you want for dinner? And often it's just like, you know, rather than what do we want or what do we have, the way that I make decisions about food is like, how do you feel? And there are so many times when I will just get a sense of what the right meal is to make for either of our moods or our situations or the day that we've had. And, you know, I'll make something really simple, like a soup or a stew or a bowl of pasta, but it'll just be like the right thing for that moment. And, you know, I get this, you know, you're such a witch in the kitchen kind of <laughs> leveled at me because it's just like, you know, knowing what what exactly is going to like connect to you, mind, body and soul food wise in that moment is kind of my gift, I guess. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to embody with that title. Um, and I think I often don't, make enough of how magical food is like I try and put everything into this framework of logic and reason and and you know intuition is is the opposite of that and you can't rationalize it and so I'm trying to as well as you know sharing it with the world it's part of my own personal journey of becoming more intuitive in life more generally as well as with food um and sort of making it uh, as as relevant and as um, weighty in my decision making as my logic and my reason because I think all of those things are important and there is this sort of mass awakening and now of, of those things coming to the forefront and um, I just think it's the right time to sort of put that that message around it and, and share it in that way with people. That's so, so true. There's been such a wave of people just becoming aware of mindfulness practices and it's it's very funny because there is a there is such a, a thing when you're cooking and you're not paying attention I always joke with my mum because my mum cannot cook she could not cook a bowl of cereal she couldn't prepare a bowl of cereal that I promise you she is absolutely bonkers and when we were younger this is an example she was trying to she, she, I think she had like six months off work and she was trying to do like homemade meals with me and my sister so we had this girl around that was my sister's friend and she started to prepare all this like it was like a pea kind of sauce for pasta right very straightforward so she didn't realize you were meant to cook the peas so she just <laughs> blended raw peas and and she gave it to this girl who just looked at it like there was like grass basically in, in, in a pot and it's because she doesn't pay attention she's not present when she's cooking she's like following the instructions but she doesn't like want to be involved with it she finds it like a burden and like 
she just doesn't it's she's not clicked into when you're cooking and i think that's the difference between when you get good food and crazily bad food it's just being present mm-hmm. definitely and it's so similar to when you're meditating it's like when you're in that moment and you're just paying attention to the now things come out well more than not and even if they're not like amazingly cooked they could they just things energetically just work out and i love that element of food um do you think about things in more of a spiritual way or do you also apply things like nutritional ways like i know there are some like holistic um benefits of certain spices like whether turmeric a lot of people are using it as as remedies and things like that at the moment now we're in the lockdown and so on do you think about that side of it as well or just thinking about the energy when you're cooking so i think um i think it's hard not to even subconsciously somehow right there's so much of it from from the really negative stuff around diet culture to really great information about nutrition um it's everywhere and it's something that the media promote a lot of information about so i think it's hard not it's hard to ignore it completely, but I guess what I've done is I've made a conscious decision not to bring nutrition into it from the perspective of, A, I think it's it's very well covered already. Yes. <laughs> like, there's a lot of people that work in the new field of nutrition, but also because of this reason that um, it's so tied up with diet culture, it's so tied up with both science and myth that I think it's very easy to be caught up in... Um, things that may or may not be true, things that may or may not work. And a lot of what it comes down to is um, is actually where our intuitive connection to food um, offers these things anyway. And so I think, sure, like you can do all of that reading and all of that research and have a list of things that are anti-inflammatory and this and that. But what it does, it, it for me, the, the impact on your mindset is far more damaging than any nutritional benefit you get from sort of obsessing about all of that stuff. So I think it's really about, if you're going to do it, I think it's about balance. But I I also have this belief that if you see food as something you have a relationship with and something that is part of your entire well-being and not just your physical well-being, and it's your mental well-being and your spiritual well-being as well, and you... You know, it's it's work. Like it's still work that's ongoing for me and everyone that I know is that is on this path. It's a constant, um, effort, not effort, but it's constant progress. Like you're never finished. That you never fully complete it all. It's it it's a path that we're all on. It's a journey that we're all on. Becoming more intuitive, becoming more conscious. But I think that's the long term and sustainable way to do it. And sure, like a lot of the things that might be nutritionally um, or holistically uh, promoted like turmeric or eating green vegetables or eating whole grains. Um, I think if you really like take the time and effort to listen to your body, to cook your food, to engage with your food when you're eating it and how you feel afterwards, then eventually you can combine all of those, you know, the sweet treats that make you feel good emotionally, the green veg that make you feel like really energized and like ready to attack your day. All of those things can sort of be put into balance from your own personal perspective rather than needing to, because I just, I just feel like as soon as we start looking externally, we start imposing rules on ourselves, which is kind of, is so psychologically damaging to our mindset with food that I think for me, the way to, to go around it is just replace that with like seeking out more of the good stuff 
That's so I mean? true. That's so, so true. Because it's not fear-driven anymore. It's it's about using... I, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think like people forget like we're putting food into our bodies. Our bodies have reactions. But instead of listening to the reactions our bodies actually show me, we look at instructions and websites that give us information. Exactly. It's like, well, why, why are you looking outside of yourself? You could find out that information. If, if you eat something and it doesn't work for you, don't eat it again. <laughs> exactly. I mean, a really good example of that is um, is an allergy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like, sure, there are tests to tell you if you're allergic to something, but the way that you find out normally is you eat it and it gives you a reaction <laughs> that makes you sick. And, and whether it's an allergy or a bloating or a feeling great or feeling excited, you know, there are so many things that food can make you feel. And just by acknowledging them... Um, you can have that same relationship with with every food as you would like you know you can rank order them in your intuitive sense like how well you get on with them and then you naturally just gravitate to a pattern of eating that makes you feel great and i think if you concentrate on that you know feeling joy feeling vital and i don't like to use the word healthy or unhealthy because again they're so tied up with diet culture so i'm sort of trying to champion this word vital and that's what i want out of my food i want to feel vital and it might be that it's a combination of chocolate cake and spinach and pasta and it does totally fine if i feel good and i have energy and i have mental clarity and i can do the things that i want to do and i enjoy what i'm eating and i feel satisfied at the end of it that is tick that's that's the perfect diet for me that's yes i think that's so wise um when when I look at your food and you have a wonderful Instagram that everyone can follow, which is at Food Witch Sal, um, you present in a very kind of, you don't fuss things. They look just, they are what they are. They are beautifully presented. And is that part of your creation process? Like when you use beautiful flowers on things and, and it just is like, this is the beautiful earthy feel of it. Do you cook with your eyes, if you know what I mean? Like, do you prepare with that in mind? Funnily enough, I think in a roundabout way, yes, but I think the one thing that I've really had to accept is is what looks nice to me. So, um, you know, I worked in uh, high-end catering, Michelin restaurants, and I've been trained in how to present food in certain ways and, and also how to, you know, over-engineer things to look a certain way. And I spent a long time thinking that I needed to do that because that was the way that food was meant to be and that's what... Um, people wanted and that's what would sell and and that was sort of in my previous unintuitive incarnation um and now what i truly believe and what i think comes through in my food is that for me like what looks appetizing is something that looks like what it is it looks delicious it looks like the thing that it came from it looks like a part of nature i can identify the ingredients and the cooking process just by looking at it um and it doesn't look unnatural or um overly manicured or you know shapen in a particular way and if it's decorated or garnished it's with something that is natural and has flavor yes um, i love if that that's not possible i just don't garnish stuff like you know if it needs a micro herb and i can't get the right micro herb because and the one that i have won't taste right it doesn't get a micro herb like that's kind of ultimately it should taste amazing and there's no way you can dress it up to look good or bad if it tastes great it tastes great and that's what matters absolutely i'm 
I've got massive hands, which is stupid to say, but I was mesmerized by one of the, um, you, it was like a, I think it was made of beetroot and it was presented as like a beautiful rose with these delicate, like drop, uh, it was on your Instagram. And I sent it to my partner and I was like, I could never do this. If I made this, I'd have to make like a huge like bush because I can't, I can't imagine being that precise with my, with my hands being so big, but it's such a, it's such an articulate presentation. I was so amazed by it. It's very inspiring to me. (laughs) It's one of those things as well. I think I always describe myself as um, heavy handed and clumsy. And actually, (laughs) that's not, I know that now that that's not true and I'm quite dexterous and and all of that stuff, but a lot of it I think is, is psychological and, because I have quite big hands, um, I have very warm hands. And so, you know, as a, I trained a, a lot as a pastry chef when I first started out in restaurants. And okay. that's like the worst thing you can have as a pastry chef. But actually, now, I, I just believe that that's not an issue and just carry on and it's all fine. I'll have <laughs> to try and adopt mindset. that. Everything in life is about mindset, I'm discovering now. Yes, yes. If you believe it, it will happen. I've just stopped telling myself that I'm too big for things, I think. It's the problem of being six foot something in, in heels. <laughs> um, so if you said this dish sums up my cooking to the tea, what dish would you prepare? Oh, that is a very difficult question. Uh, let me have a think. Well, one of the things that I really love to cook, and I guess does kind of... Oh, actually, this is a really good one. I've got it. It's my dal. And it's got a really good story behind it as well. Um, so I make dal all the time. Um, it's super easy. It's quick. Um, even if you don't have all the ingredients, you usually have enough of them that you can get something good out of it. And it doesn't require a lot of fresh stuff. So... Sometimes if there's nothing else around, it's quite easy to make. And um, I just make tons of it and stick it in the freezer. It's also a really nice sort of cleansing, levelling first meal to have on a retreat. So again, I make it quite a lot for the retreats. And my current sort of signature dal that I make all the time is made from this spice mix that my grandma makes. And um, I went round to her, she lives with my mum, I went round there long long ago long before the pandemic and um she was making this dish which is a a pilau rice made with peas it's one of my favorite dishes it's just rice and peas and potatoes delicious yeah um and it has this spice mix in it and i've never made this dish before why did you make dal out of it like if you're making dal you should do this and if you're making this dish you should do this and i tried to explain to her that you know as soon as i smelt it i just smelt dal and i wanted to turn it into dal and that was just like intuitively what I wanted to do um and every time she's like you know you shouldn't do it you shouldn't do it so anyway I made this delicious dal out of the spice mix for months and months and months and months and then I went uh, on a retreat to Cornwall and gave some to um as a gift to this lady that that runs a farm that we go and visit and she sent me a message that evening having eaten it for dinner and said I'm having a debate with my husband is this your grandma's recipe for dal or is this your own intuitive version? We can't decide. <laughs> and I just replied that I was like, it's both. Like, I don't know how to dis- disentangle those two things. Like, it's her spice mix for something else that I use in dal. Um, and it was just so funny how perfectly those two things came across in in what I was doing. Like, it's a very intuitive thing. It's my own recipe that mixes, like, 
three ways of making dal with a spice mix intended for something else. Yeah, it is so reminiscent of like my grandma and the food that that we grew up eating that um, that all of that came across in one go. And um, and like my dal is almost like a yardstick for my for my mood because if I'm like in a bad mood and and I, I make what I call now angry dal and it's like really spicy and really peppery because like I'm, just, I'm just angry and it gets all of my anger and all of the spice in it um and yeah and so dal is kind of is one of my favorites and something that I make all the time and it's my go-to comfort comfort food as well that does sound delicious. I, I'm, I would love to try your food one day. What actually takes place on one of your retreats and what different retreats do you offer when we get out of this pandemic lockdown? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when we get out, out of the house again, um, so I host um, retreats that are basically centred around using food, yoga and meditation as tools for mindful living. Um, and... I work with um, with a yoga teacher who is also trained in Pilates and personal training and nutrition and all sorts of things and is constantly adding more strings to her bow. And so as we sort of gain more knowledge and work on ourselves, we sort of expand the, the offering within the retreat. And it's basically like how have, you know, the things that we've learned living in London, living in this sort of urban rat race, to affect practical spirituality and mindfulness in our lives that don't require you to sit in a field naked, that don't require you to meditate for seven hours in silence, but that you can do even if you've only got 15 minutes a day to dedicate to yourself and you can make meaningful changes to how you feel, um, your mindset and your relationship with yourself and kind of, you know, pragmatic, practical ways to do it. And because food is the way that, that I find a lot of that has transferred to me, um, that's one of the mechanisms that, that we offer on those retreats. So we go and visit a farm and we do like a field to fork harvest, cooking and eating experience. Um, and it's just absolutely magical. Um, and I run a couple of those a year. Um, and then I basically team up with practitioners of all sorts um, from all over the place uh, doing retreats that they host and I then cook on. Um, so I work with a couple of life coaches. I work with a bunch of yoga teachers. Um, I work with a, a shaman earlier this year. Um, and it's just basically anything that involves, you know, mindfulness and looking inward and self-development where for me, like, as soon as people are called to connect to their intuition, the food that I make on the retreat connects to them also. Um, and that's why I love to cook on retreats because it's a, it's a moment where what I do and what they're doing sort of really have an opportunity to connect. Um, and, you know, selfishly, I love feeding people who are <laughs> primed to enjoy my food because that energetic transfer is all easier to do if somebody is in that right headspace. What did you do with the shaman? So she, um, she does ritual cacao ceremonies. So it was a full oh. moon retreat. Um, with a cacao ceremony um, and yoga and sound uh, and gong baths. So oh. it's just like a real like connecting back to nature and yourself and, you know, all of these different energies and the moon and we had this big fire and sort of offered um, our desires and, and gratitude to the moon and just like reconnecting back to 
all of the energy and all of nature and stuff. It was amazing, actually. And yeah. it sounds a bit wacky, but it was just, it was awesome. Oh, no, I'm, fa- I'm so intrigued. It's really good. Uh, I'm, I'm a learned person, so I might ask you if you could link me to her details after just to check her out. <laughs> yeah, let me I'll write that down right now. Um, Thank you. She's absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. So I'm super, super, super um, grateful that you took the time to speak to me about all you do. And you're so amazing. Hopefully I will be able to come to one of your workshops because I'd love to learn some more techniques and things in the future. So when we're out of lockdown, I will come. <laughs> well, they're online now, so you've got no excuse. Ah, we could do an online one. That's so true. I have to talk to my partner about this. It's very exciting. I really like the, on your website, you have this beautiful image of, I think it's a watermelon with this stunning like salad what is that one before i wrap up yeah no that is a very good thing to know so that is one of my favorite um dishes for the summer and the reason i love it so much is because it's um a barbecue dish okay um and so what you i don't know if you've ever tried barbecued watermelon but it's absolutely delicious so yummy if you're Sorry, go on. No, I just love it. I'm agreeing with you. It's delicious. <laughs> um, and um, I think particularly for, for people that have been missing meat and are trying to um, find things that give them that satisfaction without using substitutes, it's actually a really, really good one. So basically, it's just like thick slices of watermelon that you leave the rind on and you just lightly season and oil them and just like char them really briefly on a really hot uh, either barbecue or griddle pan just so you get those nice um, dark lines on both sides. Um, And then you make this sort of fresh salsa. So it's got avocado, cucumber, um, jalapeno chilies, uh, lime, coriander, dill, and then dried cumin and coriander. Um, and you kind of just make this salad and serve it with the the watermelon, and it's just delicious. Oh, so my really. God, my mouth is watering just thinking about it. That sounds so yummy with the jalapenos. And, and whenever someone's like, because I have, I don't know if you've ever heard of the big green egg barbecues, but I got bought one for my 30th birthday, which was a very long time ago, and I was eating meat at the time, so you can, like, slow-cook meat on it. It's incredible, like slow-cooked meat on that thing is just out of this world you can make pizza you can make bread it's just the best thing ever but you know when i stopped eating meat um it's like what do i do with this barbecue and so making like amazing vegetarian and vegan barbecue has been one of the things that i really have taken on as a project because a i love barbecue but also like a lot of my friends and family but we don't want to come to your house for a barbecue because you don't eat meat um, and so every time I come across something that's just like amazing vegetarian or vegan barbecue, that like becomes a staple because then I know people come over and I can make it and they'll be impressed and I can sort of be smug that they didn't eat meat and they still had a good barbecue. <laughs> that's that's definitely a test. If you can make good barbecue vegetarian food instead of like, what? oh God, it they, I went to this barbecue when I was a kid and I didn't, because I didn't eat meat, all I got was a corn on the cob. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> that's not fair that's not fair i was like you could have given me a halloumi or something yeah, jesus like, I mean, halloumi on the barbecue winner 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 all right then my love thank you so much for chit-chatting to me and i'll thank add you all your details me. um and your links and you can be found at thefoodwitch.uk and the food witch on instagram and definitely check out all your wonderful um courses and retreats coming up thank you so much Thank you so much. It was so lovely to chat to you.
Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning into this episode of Agitprop Interviews. It was a pleasure to discuss a little bit of Sal and her history and where she came from in terms of her food story. So thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. See you in the next episode and check out all the links below.